This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. In a follow-up podcast to the podcast we released on Tuesday with Leon Kackelhofer, the professional hunter that was on the elephant hunt, I had a significant engagement with Andrew Dankwurtz on Instagram and offered the podcast is an opportunity for him to voice the other side of the coin, essentially his opinion on the hunt and why taking this large tusker was not good for elephant conservation. He has some valid points that we as a hunting community need to consider. I think it's also important for us to be willing to listen and to be willing to have a dialogue and to be willing to have a discussion and to be able to put forward ideas and challenge sentiments and really at the end of the day two individuals that are open-minded to their respective ideas on what they believe in is always going to be fruitful to wildlife conservation and to figuring out this thing that we both want so dearly which is the idea of elephants, and in this specific circumstance, the idea of big tuskers, to be around for our kids and our grandkids one day.
no worries. I would have expected you to have a beer in, in your hand. It's in it's in the afternoon. I'm the only one that should be having coffee, man. It's freaking just on 5 a.m. in the morning. Very tempting, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Another couple of hours and I'll be on the beer train. It is Friday. And it is <laughs> so I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. You know what I love about... It's it's a love hate relationship. It is with social media. Is that unfortunately it has created a space that people can't have dialogue. Yeah. They can't have discussion. They can't have like even if they try. Let's just assume they tried. Yeah. Some dimwit's gonna come in from left field and is going to like throw a yelling match and is going to throw punches and he's. You know, and people are going to be like, what's going on here? And um, it's one of the things that I think I've prided myself in Blood Origins to do, which is to almost like listen. And, you know, I'm not, we're not ever, I'm never going to say I'm completely 1000% correct because I'm not and nobody is. And so learning and speaking and dialogue and understanding people's opinions and um, listening to the other side of the train tracks or the other side of the coin or whatnot. Is, uh, is something that we must always, always attempt to do. Yeah. And then the, the good side is that we get to do things like this because of social media, is that you get to interact with someone and they're like, yeah, hell yeah. Andrew, you don't understand how many times I've done the same thing I did to you. I'm sure. Say, look, you have not you have a different opinion to what I've just put out. So let's podcast about it. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and it's crickets. Yeah. You know, and so when you said, hell yeah, I'm in, mm. I'm like, oh, yes. Okay, perfect. Yeah. No, I agree, Robbie. And and uh, uh, first and foremost, I will, will apologize for behaving the way I did yesterday. Um, it's not like me to lose composure like that and throw insults and call you pretty much the worst thing you can call a man. Um, no, it, was, it wasn't the worst thing I heard in the, in the last 24 hours. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't followed on from, from where, when we left off yesterday, but I'm sure there has been lots of insults and, and it doesn't help um, losing your temper and losing composure and, and, and um, getting personal. It really doesn't. And it's, it's unlike me and I do apologize for that. Um, I appreciate and, it. And you're right. You're right. It's social media does open the doors for, for everybody from someone who's sensible, who has uh, um, knowledge or experience in the field to people who have absolutely no experience and no knowledge in the field. Um, and in, on our particular subject, I mean, the, 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 the anti-hunting community has, is a prime example for this. Not all of them. I don't put them all in the same box, but there's a lot of them that are the first to jump on these topics on social media. And, and I've, I've seen it. I mean, not so long ago, uh, a few weeks ago, I was actually defending uh, hunting in a way. It was a, it was an organisation that was um, promo- uh, was was designed primarily to end hunting, and they put up a post about canned lion hunting, and it, it really got that that same reaction: people's emotions. Let's kill hunters. Let's let's put them in the line, and let's put them in farms. And let's, they don't they don't really see the 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 nature of the situation on the ground, and they can't tell the difference between often which is the most common thing. I'm sure you've seen lots of it is these comments are like, oh, all, all poachers must die on a post where professional hunters um, exhibited. And a lot of that community don't, can't even tell the difference between a poacher and a hunter. And more importantly, mm-hmm. the difference poaching has um, on the environments of Africa compared to the potential 
negative impacts a hunter may have, which is vast. And if you if you don't mm-hmm. understand that concept, you know your your opinion is pretty invalid until you can get the foundations right in in, in terms of knowledge and um, science on the field. And if you can't get that right, your your opinions pretty invalid. But unfortunately, those opinions carry so much weight, carry so much hate, carry so much influence, carry so much like so many of these campaigns all over the world these days: hunting, not hunting, race, um, whatever it might be. They do have a massive impact and. Quite frankly, I, don't, I think the only way to deal with it from both sides of the spectrum, hunters or non-hunters, is to actually deal with it together. And when we have sensationalist um, hunting mm-hmm. comments or sensationalist non-hunting comments, is to, like I did the other day, and address them and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not with hunting, but I think this canned lion stuff and focusing all our energy on canned lion hunting, although I, I think it's pretty uh, weird, is, is a waste of resources. You know, it should be focused in... In habitat destruction so we take each other's sides when needed you know so like you said it has mm. great power social media where we can connect like this and 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 i can own my part of of being a part of that for a brief period of time and and, and reacting badly um and we can we can you know we can come to some sort of resolution i suppose that is the good side of it which i hope we do come i really do i mean there's you know there's a lot i'm not the only person who's quite um uh, struck by the the news of that elephant um I know there's a lot of people on your side who are, who are, who are looking forward to, to seeing the result of this podcast. There's a lot of people, I won't say on my side, but on the other side of, of the, the movement, which is trying to silence hunting completely, that are waiting to um, hear mm-hmm. all of this. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, and so let me, so this podcast is going to, is going to follow back to back with the podcast that I had with the PH on the hunt. I had a, a really good p- podcast with Leon Kackelhofer. And uh, what I did with Leon is I gave him the opportunity to set context. Um, and what you'll find and what the listeners know from us and the people that are now listening to us for the first time, because your audience will be hopefully listening to this, is that one thing you got to know about Blood Origins is that we're very, very much in the middle. We sit in the middle. We're gray. As you saw from the post, our post wasn't inflammatory. It was more like, and we weren't rightist. We weren't conservationist. You know, we weren't this uh, red left wing, whatever you want to call us. Um, it was like, here are the facts that we know. And if you go back to the post, you actually have seen that I've changed the post already uh, because new facts have come to light in terms of populations of elephants in Botswana, you know, certain aspects of carrying capacity and, and their influence on forest change because, you know, a lot of people don't know, I have a PhD, I have a PhD in wetland ecology. I don't know if you know this or not, but the reason I have a PhD in wetland ecology is I went to the Okavango swamps when I was 16 years old and it changed my world. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided to become a wetland ecologist. And so I understand science, I understand uh, wildlife population ecology, um, but I know that science is an infallible. And I know that there's always new data and I always, and then there's always things to look at and and unfortunately, in today's world, this is the sad part, is that science has lost its rigor in that you can find science that, that supports the arguments of both sides of the equation if you want to tease out the data the way that you like to tease out data. And so I'm going to be the first person to tell you, Andrew, and to your, to your supporters and to the people that follow you and the people that sit on the other side of the coin that we're going to listen and I'm going to... I want to ask hard questions because I want to know the answers of those hard questions. And that's not me purposely pushing. And you'll hear 
on Leon's episode, I did the same thing with Leon. I said, Leon, where'd the money go? Like, that's the big question. Let's talk about the money. Everyone wants to know about the bloody money, which is appropriate. So tell me about it. Yeah. And let me ask you some pointed questions so I can understand it. Yeah. Because I know other people are thinking the same things that I'm thinking. So I want to set context here. I want to give you the opportunity to set context for who you are, your background, um, sort of how you came to your thought process. And then let's talk about the elephant or let's talk about elephant hunting in general. And then we can go specific if we want. Because that's what happened with Leon is that we went all the way through and we literally only talked about the elephant itself in the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Okay. So, Andrew Dankwood, did I get Dankwood's right? Dankwood's is right, yeah. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I'm excited, excited to have you because you're the kind of person that we need on this podcast. Okay. So, thanks, Robbie. I'm, 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 I am happy to be here and I am, uh, my, my goal is not to throw eggs and tomatoes at the hunting community. I made that perfectly clear in, in my posters. I've, 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 I've grown up in Zambia my whole life. Um, you know, when you're a kid in these places, you, you, you grow up fishing or hunting. That's, that's your life. You know, there's, you can't, you can't, uh, judge a man by his upbringing. I mean, he doesn't have a choice. And, and you know what? I don't regret it. And it was fun. And even now I go back and all my friends still hunt and my family still hunt and I join on hunts. I just, <clears throat> I lost the taste for it. Um, mm-hmm. you don't hunt any longer. I don't hunt any longer. I had an incident with a, a baboon in Zimbabwe, which, still haunts me that I, I just I couldn't cope with it anymore, which is which is fine. And I and I never took that in and placed it onto the hunting union and said, Oh, you guys should stop as well. It was my own journey with hunting that that transpired of this. Anyway, I got into uh nature guiding instead. So I started off in Zambia. I've worked Zambia, Tanzania, Kenya, uh Botswana, short gig in in Zimbabwe not so long ago. Um in the recent years, I've been in the photographic industry, um, working throughout Africa and um, doing various kinds of things. I was affiliated with various conservation pro- uh, projects when I was uh, in Zambia working. I can speak the local language in Western Zambia, which is uh, dialects of Chinanja, Bemba, Chichewa. They're all quite a similar dialect fluently, like I speak English. I mean, we, uh, we grew up speaking this language, so I was very... Uh, um, by the way, ph- phenomenal photography, by the way. Once I checked you out and started and started stalking through your Instagram, phenomenal photography. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so, did hands-on conservation work with Zawa as a um, uh, various uh, levels of conservation, from anti-poaching to community education projects that we we're trying to do, um, and uh, have been involved in various other ones in Namibia. I was part of a, a leopard. Uh, translocation, relocation project, trying to bring leopards back into um, a reserve there. So I've had in and out relationships with wildlife, the the African wildlife industry as a whole, my whole life, Um, whether it's in tourism or conservation. uh, For the most part, it's been tourism. At the moment, I'm the director of our company, the Odyssey Collection. We uh, run safaris throughout Africa, um, West Africa, East Africa, South Africa, you name it. Where are you currently based, Andrew? Is it Zim? I'm based in SA at the moment. Yeah. Oh, okay. South Africa, uh, Zambia's uh, issues with electricity and Wi-Fi are a little bit uh, tough to well, deal Joburg with. Well, Joburg has the exact same issues with electricity. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. So, I, I mean, I need to be online these days all the time. So, um, I'm right. in SA at the moment and uh, we're basing ourselves out of here, but that could change in the future. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, that's how I came to my reaction yesterday was based on uh, primarily my experiences, personal experiences in Africa. You know, I've, I've, I haven't just worked the glamorous camps, the glamorous lodges and the Sabi Sands, although I've done that too. I spent um, three years in the Sabi Sands. Um, I've worked the less known parks, the parks that are struggling with poaching, the parks that, you know, I'll would, I would take my guests out in the Kafui. And if I saw one member, okay, there's no, hasn't been rhino there for decades, but the, the rest of the big five, if I saw one member of the big five, I was happy. That was my goal, was to show them either buffalo mm. or elephant. That was my goal. Leopard wasn't even, it was, mm-hmm. I think I saw two or three in my whole time there. Line were, were sparse. We were on the GMA side of the river, so the hunting side of the river, and mm-hmm. we operate on both sides of the river. So the, the, the result of my reaction, the conclusion of it, came from my personal experiences in Africa and seeing mm-hmm. that there is issues um, that Africa mm-hmm. is no doubt still in peril, although they've been uh, isolated victories, no doubt, um, throughout Africa in, in different parks and different regions. There's been isolated victories from um, hunters that I've worked with. I've worked side by side with hunters in Tanzania, um, doing great work from a more tourism-based model of con- conservation. They've done incredible work. There are victories, but the whole situation of Africa's wildlife is still critical and still really um, in need of a, a lot of improvement in various mm-hmm. countless, countless aspects, corruption, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just deploying of funds responsibly and, and resources responsibly in the communities and you name it. So the reason why the elephant struck a nerve with me is, is it's been a big part of my career was, was seeking out large elephant bulls. Now, in my life, I'd never seen one until I saw uh, Craig from Ambicelli, the one of the big tuskers of Ambicelli, and that was this year. That was um, this year. So I'd never seen a 100-pound plastic elephant. I've seen some pretty decent-sized elephant in Kruger National Park. Um, Boswell of Mana Pools. I'm not sure if you're aware of Mana Pools, the, the big elephant there. His name's Boswell. He's an iconic elephant of of that area. Okay. Um and uh but that that's about it. And when I saw one lying dead, you know, it was something that I'd I'd imagined sure, 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 sure. we we had kind of moved past uh shooting elephant of this size, of this caliber, because you know, it's just it doesn't seem like there's enough left. Um from observation. It seemed like there was enough to go on from just just daily observation, being in the field every day of my life, and and seeing yeah. one, and then seeing the next one that's, that's on Instagram that's been shot by hunters. It was, you know, it was yeah, no, hard to understand, and and it it's still hard, really hard for um, you know the the one thing I I must disclaim to to your viewers in particular, and, and, it, and I mention it in the post is I'm I'm not part of that fanatical anti-hunting industry. I'm very aware um, of the importance of hunting it's it's a known fact that there's more land dedicated to to now i'm putting myself out on the line here my neck on the line because i've had numerous conversations with my clients 99.9.9.9.9 percent of 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 tourists who come to africa are very against hunting but i open the conversation sure. and i and i and i give certain scenarios and i say i think you should just open your mind up to certain things and one of them is that is that fact is that so much land mm-hmm. is dedicated to hunting reserves. In fact, more than national. Well, that's, that's that's the key, right? Habitat is the key. That's number the key. one. Habitat's number one. Yeah. And and, and so, yes. Okay. No, no. Go ahead, Andrew. 
And you're right, without habitat, and, and this is, I'm, you, I'm sure you've had many uh, conversations on this topic um, on your podcast, is, is a lot of people skip to the whole, like, let's say, the lion story, but instead of addressing, the, let's say, the habitat story, it's not as romantic as saving fluffy baby nipper cubs. Exactly. So not a lot of people put a lot of attention to it. It doesn't get as much traction. And we get lost in that journey to try and save individuals um, instead of trying to save habitat. So mm -hmm. I, I open them up to that idea. And I also open up to the idea. I said, okay, you know, one of my, my favorite questions, I don't know if you know of a book called, I think, it's, I think the author's Tobin Frost or Toby Frost. It's definitely Frost. His first name forgets me. I've got the book here. It's uh, The Antelope of Africa. And he's done probably one of the best accounts and illustrations of all antelope species of the Antelopini tribe. So we buffalo. Oh, amazing. Everyone. Yeah, no, check it out. And their, their current numbers and status. And it's shocking, firstly, how many pretty large antelope species I was unaware of being in Africa my whole life. And secondly, how fragile some of these populations are. And I, and I ask my clients and I'll say, you know, if you could click your fingers right now and end hunting at the click of a finger, would you do it? And, and every time they say yes. And I say, you know what? I love you for that. I love that you're you're passionate about protecting wildlife. So am I. I want to see them live. I want to see them thrive. I, I thrive. I can't, you can't blame the anti-hunting community for not knowing your perspective until you've lived and breathed and you've seen a hungry village in Africa and conceptualized the issue of hungry Africa. You cannot conceptualize mm -hmm. the reason behind legal hunting. You cannot. You can't conceptualize it until you've seen that side of it and been involved in it. And, and, the, and they'll say, yes, boom, you, you know, we would we'll, we'll stop hunting like that. And I say, well done, you've just extinct the Central African giant eland. Because the last Central African giant eland are all on a hunting concession. All of them. Mm -hmm. And you know Africa as well as I do. Hungry Africa, it's not their fault. It's human instinct to survive. will consume unprotected land into charcoal and eroded earth in a matter of months. So the, the whole idea of ending hunting is, is, is fictional and unreasonable, but there are two sides of the story. All that dedicated land is not as well protected as dedicated land should be. And um, there's issues on both sides of the story, which I'm sure we can clarify. Absolutely. We can get to grips with, you know, because um, there's hunters out there hunt, fighting a good fight. But we don't, mm -hmm. the general community doesn't hear about that. They don't hear about what mm -hmm. Ivan has done to the Zambezi Delta. That was, that land was, was fucked. Sorry, I don't know if your viewers appreciate the odd. <laughs> <laughs> He's taken almost single-handedly with the help of the Cabela, Cabela Family Foundation and turned an immense amount of land into wilderness through the yeah, of sure. conservation. You can't deny that. You cannot deny that if. And I've had these conversations. Yeah, we had Mark Haldane on our we had Mark Haldane on the podcast. Um, yeah, and he talked about that project and um he's uh yeah, it's certainly a conservation and you're right, look, I wanna be sure that from my side that people from your side are hearing what I'm about to say is that we are not professing hunting to be a silver bullet. That we're not sticking it on a pedestal, that it is the panacea of all things wildlife conservation. Uh it is a tool that is in a toolbox. And that tool sometimes is a very, very important tool, if not the only tool. Uh, at other times, it is not a tool that gets pulled out of the toolbox. Agreed. Because there is other mechanisms by which ecotourism, for instance, provides a much better tool for wildlife conservation. So, no, I appreciate that viewpoint. That's fantastic. So I've got a couple of 
from your perspective, and I don't expect you to back it up with science and whatnot, but I'm, I'm from an anecdotal perspective, there are a couple of things that have been brought to light in the last 36 hours, not to the elephant itself, but rather to sort of characteristics of these big tuskers and that I don't know much about. And so I want to, I want to ask you, and you've given me two examples specifically now that maybe will help. So you've got the, um, so you talk about Boswell and monopoles. I assume it's an old elephant, maybe a 90 pounder, maybe a hundred pounder, you know, just off on the hoof, maybe 80 pound. Let's just say it's a big tusk. Yeah. 80. And then the guy in Amboseli, what'd you call him? Dennis? Uh, Craig. 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 Okay. Those two elephants. Do they stick around that area? Do they disappear from that area? Um, they. What are, do you know about their movements? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty. They're pretty. I mean, Boswell has a has a collar on him, um, which and his his movements are uh, are easily accessed by the public. He, in the wet season, travels up the escarpment, which is quite a fast area. He's been known to leave the Zambezi escarpment now. Zimbabweans might will probably contend, uh, contend me on this because I'm taking a bit of a guess on, on how wide the escarpment floor is. But from the Zambezi River to the start of the escarpment, I think it's about 30 kilometers. The escarpment itself, probably five kilometers okay. to its rise. And he's been known to leave that and come back. Ambicelli, Craig is one of a group of, of megatuskers. He is one of the biggest ones. There's three years, Craig, Tolstoy, and another one, which is like T40 or something. They've recently lost um, uh, Tim, which was the, the, said to be the biggest of all of them. He was, he was 160 pounds on one side, 134 pounds on the other side. Um, Boswell's not in that category. Boswell's big. He's the biggest in that region, but he's only uh, probably about 80 pounds, maybe 90 pounds. Um, mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. elephants of Amboseli are also monitored daily, so their movements are, are very um, easily accessed by the public and are very uh, accurate. They go into the concession. This, it's a wonderful thing that they've accomplished there. The Amboseli National Park on its own is, is very small. It's probably it's not enough to contain um, the elephant population that exists there, but the thing is it doesn't have to contain the elephant population that exists there. It's a different relationship. This is... This is the thing I keep winding up with conservationists to have, like you just mentioned it now, like hunting is a toolbox in a, a tool in a toolbox. It's, it can be used to great effect in certain areas at certain times. So people who have a, a binary solution for conservation based on their experiences of Amboseli isn't really valuable to someone who's working in uh, GMAs in Zambia, different tribes. Okay, everyone's identification, Amboseli's in Kenya, right? Amboseli's in southern Kenya, yeah. So... It's uh, it's famous for holding uh, Kenya's big tuskers. Now they've got uh, the elephants of Amboseli and they've got the elephants of Tsavo, which they reckon there's about 10. Some some reports say they've lost four in the last um, recent years. So they reckon they've got six in Tsavo. So the elephants of Amboseli come into the park and out of the park and traverse between the park, between Kamana. It's a vast area of, of uh, uh, community-owned reserves and which are teeming with Maasai and agriculture and the elephants move in and out. There have been problems. Um, the government has, has, uh, has, has put in um, solutions to those problems. So when the ele elephants kill uh, livestock, for example, which does happen, elephants every now and again will take out a bit of frustration on livestock and kill it or kill or destroy uh, crops. They get compensated for 
the destruction. Now, I know that's, again, it's not a binary solution to mm-hmm. what could be hundreds of, of marauding elephants and an overpopulation and a potential overpopulation. We'll get into that topic later. But if so many elephants are doing so much damage in another region, it might not be feasible to compensate everyone. So um, the solution is different, but it's worked really well there. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's that's City. So the, yeah, we have pretty good pretty good idea on how those elephants move um, as a as a as a fixed number. I wouldn't be able to tell you the exact range, but it's it's hundreds of kilometers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, one of the things that struck me about this elephant specifically was killed in ng13 about a million acres 450,000 hectares um there's no ecotourism operations in ng13 uh, according to conversations i've had with some of the higher level individuals in the wildlife industry in botswana in a sort of caucus meeting back in 2012 when they were discussing uses of land um specifically ecotourism versus hunting blocks uh the ecotourism operators of botswana said look those areas would we just don't we can't do anything in them it's just too thick it's mapani terminalia thickets like there's no roads there's no nothing like we can't put an investment in there for us to even turn anything near what we would need to to survive so the only ecotourism area nearby is 40 kilometers away from the base camp of where these guys were hunting, and that's the Quando um, on the NG-14. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have the data. The elephant wasn't collared. Um, certainly the area that the elephant would roam. Um, I don't know what its home range was. You know, does it, Did it swim the river and go into the Caprivi? and sit in there in the wet season and come out during the dry season or vice versa. I don't know. I don't think anyone does like anyone telling me that it would, they're in the same boat as I am, right? I I have no fixed data to say yes or no, or the opposite. Um, Anecdotally, what the, what you'll hear on the podcast on Tuesday, if you haven't listened to the podcast on Tuesday, he was by himself, completely by himself. Um, No other bachelor bulls with him. Um, he did have a wound on his side from, uh, they believe an addition, uh, probably a Tusker having a fight with him. Essentially, he did have a wound in his head, uh, from a poacher's bullet. Um, well, not, sorry, let me restate that. They don't know if it was a poacher's bullet or a conflict bullet, i.e. someone protecting the crops, uh, from him. Um, and this is one thing I'll, I'll lay out the, the scenario. Cause obviously you don't have the privilege of listening to that podcast prior to this one. Um, this is what I asked him. I said, tell me how you found the elephant. I didn't ask him the question. Did you know about the elephant? Because based on what I'm about to say, I don't think they knew that elephant was there. And we all know that not maybe, maybe we don't all know, but when it comes to hunting, it's all luck. Right, you make decisions on whether or not you've decided that animal is the one you want to take. When they came across this animal, they came across its track, and its track was old enough for them to decide to pursue it. When they came upon it, naturally was the first time that they saw the tusks. I asked him, I said, What if? Now here's here's this here's the caveat, right? A what if is an easy answer in hindsight. 
And so what if the animal was a 60 pounder? Would the client have taken it based on the age of the animal? His response to me was yes. Take that for what it is. I can't say if he's lying. I can't say if he's telling the truth. So you, let, let me get your opinion on, you may have already out, outlined it, but I want to make sure that we, we do give the opportunity to you. It's the rarity component of the, the animal, right? That sort of sticks in, and let me be a little direct here in my question, that sticks in the crawl, right? That really like got you fired up is the animal size itself. Um, so maybe let me ask a question, a direct question. Would you be have been okay in that scenario of the question that I posed? that it was a 60 pounder well, and maybe ask the question why the difference i think i think i think it's a great question robbie and i think we're at a turning point now as in, in not in, in a, as a hunting community or or tourism community or conservation community as humanity itself we've seen changes in the, the last decades in the world's wildlife populations that need us to rethink and reinvent the way we address wildlife situations okay and and you know what the 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 what you told me about ng13 and, and its vastness i've looked at it on the map is in itself a, a good point to bring up he might never have actually been seen again by a tourism body i have asked guides that who have worked in botswana who are friends of mine who have worked in botswana guides since guiding was a thing in botswana and have not seen an elephant like that. So there is an argument to, to be raised about how come tourism, you know, uh, it, it shouldn't be that important to tourism because tourism would have never experienced him. Now, the, the, the complications with that is he is part, if you look at the migratory routes of elephant in that area, NG13 is linked to a migratory route. Now he himself might've never left NG13, but there is a chance he breeds and now on a genetic level, it doesn't, uh, uh, and I'm sure you can agree with me on this, a 100-pounder having a male calf doesn't necessarily mean he is guaranteed to have another 100-pounder. You know, like you said in your in your in one of your posts that I read, which is very true, you know, the genetics are made up of both female and male genes. Now, yep. there's no denying the genetic, um, uh, as the genetics of elephant as a whole in Africa has been decimated over the last centuries i mean it's been it's been wiped out i mean you you can go to botswana and 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 see some relatively good sized elephant you can cross the river into zambia and you can ask any professional hunter who's hunted in zambia elephant aren't even on the list because the thing is not it doesn't exist anymore so the mm -hmm. the fragility of 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 the, the conversation about the genes of this particular elephant doesn't end with him and his life it it, 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 it continues on to his offspring their longevity, the, the the protection of 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 lifetimes of elephant genes in order to bring back a healthy population of hundred pounders. It's not mm -hmm. just it's not just one mm -hmm. thing. It's finished breeding. We can take him. It's which it's which which could make sense absolutely, but it's also how are we going to protect those offspring? You you ask about the sixty pounder, and and this is where the whole the super tusk argument is getting a little bit um, 
a little bit vague because we, we, we put a single number on super tuskers to, to define a super tusker to the audience that are listening. There's two definitions. The most common one is 100 pound tusk and above is a super tusker. Okay. Now, some definitions are tusks dragging in the sand. And people have contested that because um, some elephants have shorter tusks, have heavier tusks, and don't drag in the sand. So the, 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 the general consensus is a 100 pound tusk and above. All right. Mm-hmm. If he was 60 pounds and he was old, I mean, that. That is the resounding solution that pops up in my head is, is, is why can't the hunting community put a limit? Because there is a problem with genetics. We can't deny that there's, there's less and less big elephant throughout Africa. Not, it's not, I'm not putting it on hunting. For the most part, it is poaching. For the most part, it was centuries before conservation became a thing. It was the ivory days of the ivory trail where the, I've, I've read books of hunters' tales of seeing bull herds of 100 pounders. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. Now, I wouldn't say centuries, probably the 50s, right? We're talking 40s and 50s, yeah. where the elephant ivory trade was the yeah. most, like, king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's the last 200 years, really, where the population has plummeted. And you're right, mm-hmm. 40s, 50s, it was, it's been a massacre, you know. And um, the, to answer your question, I would have been happy if he was an old bull with small tusks. I mean, wouldn't that be the, the resolution to this problem? Is like, to, to save on genetics, we can't tell which calf belongs to that bull who could be holding those genetics. We certainly can't tell which females are holding onto those genetics. And Mm -hmm. we came across, I'll put this question to you now, in in the hunting community, if a hunter came across an elephant is in his prime 40 to 50 years old, that's when his tusks grow the biggest, that's when his must comes out in the biggest, he mates the most in those those 10 years, um, that's when he's in his prime. A 100-pounder who's 50 years old, could be a 70-pounder, 60-pounder when he was 40 and about to continue 10 years of mating. So if you took him out at 60 pounds, you could still be doing a lot of damage. But if you took him out at 50 years old and 60 pounds, I think you've, you may have just bypassed the genetic damage. Like That might be the only option. And, and you know what? I, 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 no, you're, you're, you're making a good point that the – and that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an issue facing – hunting right now is the idea of understanding age right i know that there's been some work someone has done either in i I think it's tied to buffalo same thing with buffalo right is that how do you know how old that buffalo is how can you figure it out yeah and i think someone is working right now on buffalo and elephant yeah it's the same scenario with lions and leopards right you want to take that eight-year-old lion nine-year-old lion ten-year-old lion same with a leopard. You want an eight-year-old leopard yeah. because those are the leopards and lions that would have very negligible effect yeah. downstream in the population from an infanticide perspective, the whole kitten caboodle. Um, I would, you know, you're right. The, the, the aging of the elephant on the hoof is going to be something that needs to be worked on because if it, you're right, if it's a 60-pounder, and here's the other anecdotal um, rhetoric on both sides of the equation where we can't prove one way or another. So I've seen the jawbone of this elephant. I'm not a dentine elephant wear expert, okay? Based on anecdotal evidence and based on what I've been told, last set of molars, one side already cracking and worn down, suggests 
you know, I don't know, couple of seasons. I don't know what that means. One, two, four, five. I don't know. Um, but the side, other side of the coin is that, okay, so what? If he had four or five seasons left, would he still be a breeding, prime breeding bull in those four to five seasons? Again, unknown, right? Because, again, the, the situation where he was found by himself, but was he by himself because it was that time of the year? And he wasn't around breeding uh, herds. Go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. No, no, no finish. So it's, a, it's a good topic. So it, it, it's tough. Again, you know, it's it, it comes down to, you're, you're right, it comes down to a judgment call in the moment. And, you know, let's be frank and let's be honest in that in that moment when you saw the ivory, the way that it was, and you, this is this is, and again, when you listen to this podcast, you again, you don't have the, the the privilege of being able to listen to it. When Leon talks about the elephant, he he starts crying, like you probably would. I mean, there's a lot of people of crying right now. So, <laughs> yeah. no, of course, yeah, because he understood the privilege. Number one, the tracker went up to that animal and said. Uh, thank you for your death because of the living that it would provide. And he was talking about, you know, him having that job. He was talking about the food that got delivered to the communities. Um, like you've talked about in the beginning, I don't think anyone's going to argue that, uh, except I had someone arguing that I had to actually physically send the pictures of the meat. And then she, she didn't believe that uh, those were the meat pictures from that elephant. And granted, I was like, look, you don't know me from a bar of soap, and I could be making this up, but I'm not. Um, exactly. I mean, Robbie, it's, you know, whoever, whoever asked that, it's, it's, it's a legitimate issue now. Is, is there's, there's been some integrity issues in the hunting community. I've, been, I've had conversations over the last 24 hours with professional hunters of friends of mine who said, absolutely, it's a massive problem where there's a lot of hunters who don't have the ethical or moral standing to yep. Con, uh, yep. um, to conform to the guidelines to try and keep this as a sustainable industry as possible. And yep. a lot of that gets shown to the world. So it is very difficult to trust in um, the hunters that took that elephant that there was more than just the desire to take a, one last big trophy. I mean, it's... It's it's very easy for them to say no. That's you know there was a lot of respect and there was a lot of emotion and we, there was a lot of attachment to the elephant and it was you know this this the spirit of hunting is ingrained in 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 all of us on an ancestral level. A lot of us have 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 long distanced ourselves from it and and that's fine. That's okay. It does you know we don't all need to hunt for food anymore. But it it is something and it, and I appreciate that hunters get emotional when they talk about animals that they hunt, but that emotion is irrelevant to the people who would have rather it have been alive. Unfortunately, that's the fact. that They want more than that. They want more than to hear that he cried over the elephant, which they want to know if it was based on some kind of greater good and, and not just a greater good. I mean, you spoke about the communities having elephants. Like, I've seen these communities. I've seen the hunger. I've seen people who don't understand that some of these, these, these communities live in constant fear of a dry season. I mean, they don't. They don't really get that, that crops can mm -hmm. fail and people can die of starvation. That's still a thing mm -hmm. in Africa. Okay, so providing meat and uh, a source of protein to communities is, is, 
is a huge importance in Africa. In fact, the first thing you should address is like, okay, we want to save this wilderness. How do we save the people who are connected to it? Done. And that elephant's meat, 100%, um, did a, a great deal of, of good in that sense. The, the question that's on everyone's mind is, why did it have to be such a big tusker? And, and the, the, the ecological value of, of one tusker, this is, this is something that I, I saw a few comments of, of, of hunters explain. And I said, okay, you know what? If we put it on a, a site-specific level, the ecological value of one big tusker, if he's not leaving the area, you're right, might not be that much. He's on his own. He's not mating. If he is, now, again, the, the reports that he was outside of his mating um, ability to mate or if he's infertile, if he's too old to do any of that, are only reports. And we haven't, there's no, there's right. no neutral entity that was there to back up that information. So no one in the, in, the, in, the, in the fight against shooting big tuskers is going to believe that information. So um, 100%. I totally agree. It, it's yeah, you know, it's a diff, it's a difficult one, and and you know, the the question that people are saying is you know the community would have been happy with the same size elephant if he had no tusks. Okay, now the mm. question is, a hunter is not going to pay whatever they paid. I'm assuming you know forty five thousand dollars for a normal elephant. Okay, we could probably double that for a hundred pounder, maybe more. Triple it. I don't know. It's, it's it was a lot of money that that man paid for that elephant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to resolve that in my head recently, and I said, "How how can we 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 fix this issue where you know a client's not going to say, oh, you guys aren't shooting 100 pounders anymore, um, so I'm not going to fly to Africa and and hunt one.' But if the hunting community devised their own regulations and said to went to Dallas Safari Club and said to everyone, guys, officially there's not enough 100 pounders left. We can't keep track of the gen- the genetics. It's too fragile. We have to implement." Um, some strict regulations to try and preserve these these genes. You can only shoot fifty pounders from what's what's the minimum poundage of an elephant these days? I have no idea. I don't think there is a minimum because of these the the quotas that are in place. Yeah. Um, I think it's all tied to the, the the guide and the pH. Like finding again finding that elephant that that client says yes I'm I'm yeah I would like to take that elephant yeah so. So okay, so that, yeah, good point. Um, the so the 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 resolution I was getting to was um, in that situation where communities are in need of funding. If the hunters, you essentially as the hunting community, you control the value of the animals you hunt. It is up to you. It's it's not up to clients mm-hmm. to just determine that. If the hunting community said these animals are too rare, we can't hunt them. However, you can hunt a fifty-year-old bull up to eighty pounds. An 80-pounder will then have the same value that a 100-pounder would have had because it is the biggest they can hunt, okay? And now, obviously, mm-hmm. they have to make an estimation. There's going to be mistakes, you know, like, oh, sorry, guys, I want 85 pounds. We, we did the best we could, okay? And that's successful. Mm-hmm. But the, this, the, 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 the deviations from the exact amount is, is going to be um, uh, is minimal and acceptable. So to, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, it's it's – it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of those communities that are helping, but I highly doubt the communities would have been upset with a 50-pound um, sure. bull, 60-pound bull of the same size. They would have gotten their meat. They would have gotten their income. They would have gotten their funding. Yes, it wasn't 100 pounds, so the hunter might have not gotten, you know, I, the, 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 the question about money that I've seen you've been asked a lot about. Now, I know um, there's hunters that 
don't do good with the money. And I know you know this, and there's hunters that do do good with the money and, and do put it back. And self-respecting hunters know if they don't uh, fund money back into their block, they will deplete their block and they, will, they, invest, they won't get return on their investments. So they have to give back. Now, you, you're never going to convince the population with words. Unfortunately, it's come to that level, Robbie. Like, no one's convinced by by words anymore. They would love to see yeah. the trails, testimonials from, I mean, you've got you to go through the effort. And with an elephant with this magnitude now, I was talking about its ecological value on a, on a site-specific level. They're, they're, they're right. They're right. You know, that elephant, or they, they could be right. Again, we're not sure. We're not, there, there was, if, if those two hunters had called Dr. Stephen Boyes from the Okavango and said, sorry, mate, we've got a hundred pounder on our block. We don't know. We didn't know where he came from, but he's pitched up. We know how sensitive this situation is with hunting at the moment. We would like the conservation body as a whole to consent this hunt. We, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. If they had said, mm-hmm. we know our sense of the situation is, can we get a neutral entity, a vet, a scientist of some kind, not any random person, to come up, agree that the elephant is on his last legs, and sanction the hunt? We wouldn't be having this conversation now, but it's too late. It's too late. The elephant's mm-hmm. dead. And the first, the global population saw of it was a picture on Instagram of two hunters sitting next to a dead elephant. So the narrative is on its own journey now, and it's not stopping. And the damage that is going to do to to tourism. Now, this this is another point is we talk about the positive impact of a hunt and the negative impact of a hunt. The positive impact of a hunt is, is those communities got food and they got some reassurance and they got support. I don't know if you remember when Botswana first uh, reintroduced hunting not a, a few years ago. The, mm-hmm, the, 21, yeah. There was an exodus of tourism in Botswana. People boycotted it. People canceled. When I was working for a company back then, Guess of ours that wanted to travel Botswana boycotted and said, we're not traveling to Botswana, whether they're right or wrong, it's irrelevant. The fact is it had a major impact on Botswana's, not, maybe not major, it's a bit of a strong word, but it had a, a negative impact on the tourism side of Botswana. So this story is going to go viral and it has a, a greater impact than the ecological impact this elephant had. I mean, the big tuskers of Africa are so rare and so symbolic. They've taken so much limelight. They've taken so much spotlight in recent years through all kinds of agencies and platforms and people obsessed with these big tuskers of Africa, they're not just important to site-specific ecology. They're important to Africa. They're symbolic of Africa. They are symbols of hope. Let me tell you, I've done nothing but despair, Robbie, about the state of Africa my whole adult life. I've been despairing. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? When you Mm -hmm. see a big tusker, you feel hope. Genuine hope. You can ask anyone who's been in the presence of one of them and be like, shit, we have fucked this planet up so badly, but if we can do one thing and protect these big tuskers and, and, and create more of them and let them breathe and let them be happy, it, it creates a feeling of hope. So if you destroy that, one individual of, of, the, of the however many are left, you know, you, you, you asked me to bring data to the table and I was like, shit, uh, I can't remember what books I read this in. So I was like, let me do some research. And I've literally gone on to every organization I can think of that's been involved in um, elephant conservation and seen numbers. And it ranges from less than 30 to less than 24 to less than 20. So whoever's wrong, whoever's right, we know there's not many. And even though he, we weren't aware of this big Tusker's presence, if the narrative instead came out that was, we've downed this elephant because we two hunters standing uh, making a judgment on his dung and his age and his track felt it was okay to shoot him instead said 
alive to the organ to the audience, to both audiences, the world, the global audience, said, "We found a big tusker in Botswana. No one knew this. There was a hundred pounder left here. No one knew, mm. and there isn't. If you mm -hmm. ask those hunters, they'll tell you. There's like the the the, the notion that there was hundred pounders of super tuskers in Botswana was vague. We, no one was sure. And instead of 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 shooting it maybe right away." said, let's celebrate this animal's existence. Let's collaborate with the, the global conservation effort and say, these genes exist here. What's the best way to go about this? And, I mean, this feud between anti-hunting and pro-hunting has been going on since before I was born with no, no uh, progression. It's just retrogressed and retrogressed and retrogressed and retrogressed because there's this massive divide and people have got their opinion. They've got their, their, until there's some sort of respect for the other side of the story and you've got to, you've got to give it to people on why they're upset. And I mean, there's no doubt that hunters get desensitized to the, the death of an elephant in, in some, in some aspects. Like I've seen a lot of hunters comment and they keep com commenting on its ecological value. Most of us are just upset to see a big elephant dead and we would have liked to have seen it alive. Even if we couldn't have seen it, we would have liked to have known it was alive and that there was hope that, Hundred pounds could exist in Botswana again, but that hope is is gone now. It's gone. We don't have. Well, it. I think you know to the point of like nobody knew about the elephant. Uh, that speaks to itself a little bit. In that I know there's a you know the sort of judgment call on how many big tuskers are left. If this one wasn't known about, how many others don't we know about? You know, kind of deal. So there there has to be some sort of unknown, obviously some sort of confidence interval around those general numbers of, of big tuskers. Um, I like the idea of, you know, checking in. I think logistically, again, I always come to the practicality of things, right? So the logistics of getting a hold of someone, getting someone to the area that's going to be really for remote, the guys on a you know 21-day safari or 14-day safari, that elephant obviously will move a, a tremendous amount away unless you keep someone with it. Um, it it's certainly an accountability component. Um, the counter to that, that I'll, the, the hunting community is probably screaming at me through the, through the, the speakers of their vehicles right now, saying that it was legal. You know, this was a legal hunt. And so there's no reason to check in. However, to your point, the reason to check in is not tied anything to do with the legality of the hunt itself, but rather to the idea that you have to be aware of what has happened in the past from an elephant population perspective, genetics and whatnot, and realize that there may be an opportunity here for your kids, your kids and your grandkids to have double the amount of, of, of tuskers, you know, around. And, um, the last thing I'll say, again, the nuance here is both sides of the coin saying opposite things that, you know, the hunter saying the contribution of genetics of this bull specifically was close to the end. Other side of the coin, no, this bull probably had multiple seasons left to still put more genetics in, which is better than nothing, which is what you're providing us by taking the bull's life um no it's an interesting it's an interesting thought process yeah. um on on that um on that topic about the genes and the particular bull i mean i think i think this is where 
the, the climax of this conversation needs to, to come to is there's a lot of people there that are angry about elephant hunting in general and hunting in general and hunting and, and, and I think that's a discussion for another time. Like the positive and negatives of hunting are different in every place, in every country, in every region, yeah. yeah. like, and, and there's, there's solid arguments for and against hunting in Botswana. This particular bull and his genetics now say, say the hunters were right about his age and his lack of um, ability to breed anymore. Okay, let's just pretend they're right. Now we 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 can't go on a, on on the, the the assessment the hunters made at the time. We, we simply can't. We don't have the proof. They don't have the proof. Um, I've seen um, elephant with very worn down teeth, literally shitting out ele- uh, uh, leaves that had not been chewed at all, survive another five six years. I mean, it's it, it's possible it can happen. Now I don't want to like put fate on a hunch and and be unreasonable here, but Let's talk. Let's go backwards from that bull instead of forwards. Okay. Let's let's say he wasn't going to breed again. I raise another point that's that's really concerning is by 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 that uh, by um, talking about his his genetics and his personal genetics that he has and his inability to breed. You haven't guaranteed the safety of those genetics. Those genetics are now in calves young elephant that are with breeding herds that travel throughout the Okavango Delta that could end up being resident big bulls within the Okavango Delta, within tourism zones, okay? He might be mm-hmm. isolated, he might not travel, but his calves are going to travel vast distances along that migratory route and might end up um, being resident anywhere. Could it, they could be residents in Zimbabwe. Does Botswana elephant cross back from Zimbabwe all the time? Absolutely. So there's no, there's no guarantee of the the safety of those genes, if we break it down to how unbelievable... But how would the killing of that bull... Maybe I'm, I'm missing your point here. How does the killing of that bull help with the security of those genes? It's it's not the killing of his bull. It's the killing of big bulls that he is linked to, the idea of killing big bulls. Now, it's, this is why I said the whole thing about super tuskers and why should, we should draw a line in the sand at 100 pounds. To be honest, we should draw a line in the sand with age and weight if we're going to resolve this issue with genetics because as uh, even uh, Johan Karlitz's elephant at 90 pound could have been a, it might as well be a catastrophe because if we look at his genetics, we shoot him, it has no effect on future genetics. Okay. But yeah. as a hunting community, we're okay with taking downing big elephant. If one of his calves, let's say in all the calves he makes, some are female, some are male and all the males, one of them, maybe if we lucky grows up to be a hundred pounder, okay. The like you said, mm-hmm. the genetics go half half and half with male and female, and the females of Botswana certainly don't carry big ivory. So, um, the chances mm-hmm. of them, if it, if Botswana was left to its own devices and no elephant was killed, even with that, it's very unlikely that he's going to produce a hundred another hundred pounder. So, if he did produce a hundred pounder, what guarantee we have that that hunters don't shoot him at 40, 40 years old? When he was carrying 80 pounds of tusks, you know that's that's the part that I think the hunting community needs to address is that yes, you take him out. He has no, you've had no negative impact on future genetics by taking his life. But what guarantee is there that you're going to take one of his offspring's life in his breeding prime? Because I know hunters don't wait for an old non-breeding elephant; they wait for not all hunters. Maybe some do, but if if one of those hunters came across an 80 pound elephant who was 45 years old. Could you confidently tell me they're not going to shoot it? And he still has six years of potentially six years, five very likely good years of breeding in front of him. 
So if you take out mm-hmm. the old guy and then you take out his one and only chance of having a hundred pounder and you repeat that process once, it's literally eliminated that gene. It's gone. It's gone. This this so what about carry it and the gene will linger. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. it's 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 we're rolling the dice. We're rolling the dice on mm-hmm. another big elephant coming back. Yeah, so you're right. The 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 rational the rationale of your thinking is correct. Um, the only thing I would throw in there is what you just used as an analogy at the end is the dice, and the dice is tied to numbers of elephant being hunted as, in, as it relates to the population itself. So the dice isn't a six-sided dice. The dice is a ten-thousand-sided dice, or maybe even. 20,000-sided dice. If you take the total population of elephants in Botswana, again, I've been corrected in the last 24 hours, 130,000, 150,000. Let's assume 50% of that is is male. All right, let's just make an even split, 50%. So that's 75,000 bulls in Botswana itself. The quota right now is 400 elephants. So if I did the math on my phone right away, 400 divided by 75,000. Again, this is just 0.005. So 0.05% of the bulls being taken. Um, Is that, again, I don't know the answer to this, right? Is that enough of a chip to your point? I don't think so. To slowly change genetics. I I, I think, I think I've, from what I've witnessed, not just an elephant with fish, with everything, when the genes are so rare, it's not a question of how many elephants are left in the wild or how many bulls are left in the wild. It's 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 a question of a particular large elephant gene, which is rare. Okay, no one can deny that. They're, they're just even in Botswana, there's might be seventy five thousand bulls, but we can narrow that down dramatic, dramatically from. Uh, elephants that don't have tusks, elephants that have small tusks, elephants that aren't of age, elephants. We won't keep narrowing it down until we, we find the population of elephants that are in their breeding prime who have, might sport, might be able to sport big ivory. And then we look at mm-hmm. how many of those get seen by people, which is quite a large amount. Most of Botswana is, 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 has got a lot of camps, got a lot of locals, got a lot of... I think you just described... The reason why those numbers are the way that you you found, you just laid out the reason why the number that you projected thirty five, twenty four dozen big tuskers. No, I mean that it could be a, a true number because of what you just said. You went yeah. you went through all that genetics, yeah. right? You went through all the things that yeah. could happen. Then you also added in the the element of have they been seen? Yeah, yeah, and but. The, the 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 amount of tuskers left is reliable, Robbie. I mean, it's it's not just tourism bodies that are giving this information out. It's hunting bodies. It's hunting records. People report um, hundred pounders when they see them. They're, it's we could be off. It might not be twenty four. It might not be twenty six. It might not be thirty. It might not be thirty five. There's there's not fifteen big tuskers out there that we're not aware of. It can't be with the amount of people in the field. Amount of ranges in the field, the amount of reporting that's going on—it's just—it's—it's it's not about to run out of battery on this thing. Um, <laughs> we've got to—we've got to—we've got to accept that we've got a pretty good idea 
of how many big tuskers are left. I mean, we can't say exactly. The one in Botswana was a surprise. It was, if, if those hunters truly didn't know about him, you know, they would have been really surprised to see a 100-pound in Botswana. The last one, like you said, is shot in 1996. Okay, we're talking 20 mm -hmm. years. And since then, mm -hmm. there hasn't been a report of a 100-pounder in Botswana with all the activities of tourism and hunting and conservation going on. No one has reported another another big elephant. And it does get reported. It does. There's, there's, yeah. there's more than enough platforms out there that people are, are giving data back and saying, listen, we've got a, a big elephant here. Um, and it gets it gets logged. It hasn't been logged because it because it hasn't been seen. It was a it was almost a freak of nature. So it um it it is it is it, it's fair to say that we probably don't know exactly how many big tuskers there are, but I think we can confidently say that there is not enough to to tangle. I think that's a good I think that's a good to tangle. I think what you said is is yeah. that's the right answer. Yeah. Is that Instead of instead of battling around how many there are, a yeah. dozen, two dozen, a hundred, yeah. I think we can all agree yeah. that the answer is there's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. And and you know, I don't know enough about genealogy. I've I've I've, I've done a little bit of research in my in my years on, on uh, in genealogy and I've seen a few examples of, of the misuse of genes turning ugly and in wildlife it can be one generation that can do it and damage to genealogy is sometimes irreparable i mean it will take centuries to come back if mm. if those genes don't re return i mean you say we're rolling the dice with a lot of edges here the dice on on rolling on big elephant if it rolls wrong robbie and we you're wrong as a hunting community you're wrong about shooting big elephant do you understand the repercussions of that? I mean, can you feel the weight of that? Of of of, of twelve years down the line, you were wrong, and there were no more big there were no more big tuskers in Southern Africa. I mean, can should we, should we be rolling the dice on that, or should we be be extra cautious about big elephant? Extra cautious in the hunting community, in the in the in the conservation as a whole community, be extremely cautious about these genes. Get the research in, and if we're not sure about the 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 damage shooting a big elephant will have don't shoot that's the answer it's like my lack of knowledge on genealogy didn't result in a dead megatusker whereas the lack of knowledge on genealogy of those two hunters did result in a dead tusker now whether it had a lasting impact or not we're unsure but that unsureness has a very 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 grave consequence that if they did eliminate it and if hunters to come do eliminate its offspring we might see the end of, we might already have seen the end of big tuskers in Botswana. And, you know, uh, 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 I was listening to a podcast the other day of a, a lady who runs the carnival project in Ruaha, and she had some great points. Amy Dickman. Amy Dickman, exactly. All right. And she had great points on hunting. And as you know, not keen on hunting, but understands. Oh, she's a vegetarian. She's a vegetarian, but understands the importance of it on a, on a habitat scale, mm. on a land scale. And sees how much land is protected by hunters and it's really important but she mentioned something really really important now this is where uh, i hope the hunting community gets behind you on this and you guys take this opportunity to to sway the 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 the, the opinion of the global community to to work with hunters and not against them so much is the more we make hunting 
well, the less we make hunting economically viable as a global um, uh, power, which it is, the, the greatest threat to hunting is the anti-hunting movement. It's more and more people are getting involved, actors are getting involved, powerful people are getting involved, massive conservation organizations are getting involved, and they're shutting down hunting in some areas, which is creating a negative impact on wildlife and habitat. So mm -hmm. by shooting a big tusker, you've 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 given potentially that hunting community finally a really legitimate reason to shut hunting down. I mean the argument before, the anti-hunting community, you mean? Yeah, anti-hunting community. Anti-hunting, yeah. sorry, anti-hunting community. You've given them a legitimate reason, which is yes, we might lose habitat, but we will preserve big bull elephant, which is now a it's it's a legitimate debate now. Even I'm considering it. I'm like, yeah, if we shut down hunting, we're going to lose vast amounts of land. But if we weigh that up against the last big tuskers of Africa, they're both significant losses. Whereas if the hunting community had worked with the conservation community and said guys, we've got a hundred pound elephant. We want to do the science and make sure, and I know the logistics, you mentioned it, the logistics are crazy. Like to get a vet out and go and, or a scientist mm -hmm. of some kind and go and identify the elephant and confirm. But I think now large bull elephants are so rare, we have to make those exceptions. No matter how inconvenient it is for hunters, you've got to do the work. Otherwise, you and I, or someone like you and someone like me is going to be sitting in a room like this, having the same conversation where as if, the narrative had suddenly changed. Someone had taken a leadership role and taken responsibility of the situation. Know they were, that the outcome of that hunt was going to turn into what it is now, which is a massive social media fucking frenzy. And the world is going to come down on hunting again. They might win on some areas and, and manage to lock down hunting and put a lot of pressure on Botswana and there's going to be big issues. Don't you think we could have avoided it if those two hunters had, had taken the necessary steps and said, we respect that the world doesn't want to hunt an elephant. Because it's hurtful, because it, it, it's, not, it's not pleasant for someone who doesn't uh, appreciate hunting to see this. Let's go through the steps. Let's make an exception because this elephant is an exception. He's 100% an, ex an exception. For an exceptional elephant, should we not make exceptional decisions mm -hmm. and strategies in order to take his life? I mean, it's, it's such a big deal. It's not a small thing. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, from a hunting standpoint, I think... It happens very often, unfortunately, from, and I experienced this in the last 24 hours too, that let's just assume for, 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 for conversation's sake that, yes, the hunting community says, yep, we're going to put things in place. We're going to put one, two, three things in place. They didn't have to because that's not what the legal regulations require them to do, but they say, okay, we're going to. I could I would put a thousand dollars right now today on the fact that those things get put in place and it wouldn't be me and you having this conversation, but it'll be the next person to say that's not good that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And they'll be like, we need four, five, six. And then you put four, five, six in place, and that that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And so there's gonna be a stretching point. It happens in all in all um it's not just hunting, it happens everywhere. That there's people who want accountability um and there's a level of appropriate accountability before it borders on this is getting crazy i don't have to prove anything to you and and unfortunately at that point that cycle actually swings all the way back around to say well screw you guys we're done like we've done as much as we possibly can yeah. and you still want more yeah. 
and now we're just going to go back to where we were, but which is not where we want to be. No, of course, that's not where we want. To be. No, and um, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But have but the question there is: Did the hunters in that situation do everything they can to avoid this? I mean, I, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't. This is the, the here's a here's a cool here's a, a something to think about. And a good friend of our, Russell De La Harper, um, Russell De La Harper, he said to me, he said, Rowie, what if the picture never got posted? What if it just never went out? Which is a, a problem in hunting, right? We have this issue of, of social media, with social media, with pictures going out. And that's where most of the issues come. Yeah. I said, yeah, you're right. But let me pose a different argument to you. I wouldn't be sitting here with Andrew Dankwitz if the picture didn't get posted. No, you wouldn't. And the conversations would not have transpired the way that they have transpired and the seeds being planted and the dialogues that have happened yeah. with tens of thousands of people Yeah. because of that. You are right. You are right. You know, the, if, if this drives, it can be driven in two directions, and I hope it goes in the later, to be honest. And if hunters just stop documenting their hunts, of course the... Uh, the rest of the world won't know about these hunts, but is that is that really the right thing to do? Is in, instead of addressing what is very clearly a problem, and many hunters are uh, uh, agreeing with the, the problem with regards to genetics, not just in elephants and big cats too. There's a there's a major problem, and lots of hunters. I've known hunters who have given up hunting because they were so disgusted in how quotas for too many lion were given to 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 blocks that would. They would exterminate all their male lions, and the whole lion thing is a, is a long story in itself. But <laughs> accounts from hunters saying that there's a problem with genetics. So it's 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 not something we should hide and be like, okay, let's let's just not post elephant pictures and, and just keep this away from the public. Like we deserve to know. It's not it's not hunters elephants. It's not it's the 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 the, the problem of conservation doesn't weigh on hunters' shoulders alone. It's all of our fight. All of us. Mm. Have to team up on this, otherwise we're going to fucking all lose. That's the end of the. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the story. Hunters cannot survive in Africa without tourism uh, conservations of a tourism model of whatever other models there might be. We all are reliant on each other. Okay, so don't hide. Yeah, hunters can't survive no. without wildlife, right? Yeah, exactly. And and it and it runs back to the the taking responsibility for that this particular hunt in particular. I think these hunters really could have done this better and, and had they had particularly only them in that situation because they were the ones pulling the triggers, had control of this narrative instead of pulling the trigger so swiftly saying maybe there's a thing you could we, we have to reinvent ourselves. I'll go back to the beginning again. This We're at a different age now where, where there is serious problems at hand that could result in really serious consequences in the near future like losing big elephants. So... Um, they had control of the narrative rather than hide it, like I said before, send it out to a greater conservation body of scientists. Now, you're going to get your fanaticals who are just like, no, nothing must die. Of course, you're going to get them. They're going to attack mm -hmm. the hunting industry. They're mindless. They're senseless. They don't have any science backed, backing their thing. But you are going to get, and there are good scientists who are open-minded about this situation and we've said guys i really appreciate you calling us in about this big bull we're going to come we're going to assess let's have a discussion about ge genetics we've got to protect this it might be botswana's last hope of having 100 pound elephant okay and and letting it 
letting it come out as a discussion rather than hunters just took the decision and shot what was, yes, an unknown elephant, but was an important elephant nonetheless. Living or dead was a very, very important elephant to all of us now that we know of him. So rather not hide it, but like just collaborate, you know, collaborate. We're all trying to collaborate and, and, and both sides are wrong at this. The anti-hunting community, that's what I said in my post, like the anti-hunting community won't collaborate with hunters and they just banish the thought of it. And the hunting community won't coll collaborate with anyone who doesn't support hunting conservation models. Like we're at this, this dead end where um, we can't get any further because no one's taking responsibility for the, the the wrongs and the negatives that their side of the story is having. Like anti-hunting anti mm -hmm. organizations shut down hunting blocks that turn into overgrazed land and firewood overnight. Hunters mm -hmm. need to take responsibility of this narrative. They might not take responsibility of this elephant. I can't ask too much. But they have to take responsibility but be, that because of their actions, they have created a tidal wave of hate against hunting. A tidal wave of hate against hunting that in its entirety might result in the closing of hunting in certain regions and have a greater negative impact where if they were more responsible about this and knowing the sensitivities around hunting at the moment and knowing that there's a lot of gray areas, rather than gone, shit guys, there's a there's a hundred pound bull on my block. They said he's got two seasons. That means they had two years to hunt him. Okay. Any client, I know this for a fact, who had an opportunity to hunt a hundred pound elephant would get on the plane at any time to come and hunt him. They could have said, sorry, we're not going to hunt him today. We need to do some research. We need to involve the conservation body. We need to get some science in here to make sure that this, this is a sustainable way of doing things. Okay. You'll be the first person to know. Tell the surrounding hunters, guys. This elephant is taken for, he's spoken for, we've photographed him, we're waiting for scientific results and consent from the conservation organizations. Once we receive that, our client is going to come and hunt him. I know it's not it's not um, ideal for hunters. You know, there's logistical issues. Now he's got to get another flight to Africa. It's not ideal, but are we still trying to find what's most ideal for us? We're not at that stage anymore. It's so, it's so critical. It's so dire, the situation with Africa, that we have to take extra measures and... The more hate that comes at, at that that hunters, the more the less economically viable it's going to be for hunters. The more hunters are going to find it difficult to operate. And you know, the president of Botswana now might be with hunting, and then you know, Africa changes. You know, like the seasons change. The next hunter might be like, hmm, I'm getting a lot of support from some big names against hunting, and shut it down with lots of support. Mm -hmm. You know, we yeah, sure. if we, no, you're right, dude. No. Look, there's uh, there's there's merit in what you're saying, and there's there's big conversations to be had and I appreciate the passion that you bring to the table and I appreciate the, the out, out of the box thinking. Um, and most of all, I appreciate the open-minded, sensible discussion dialogue that me and you can have on this topic. Um, and, uh, I know this isn't going to be the last time we chat, uh, because, you know, stuff like this opens doors uh, for continued conversation. So, yeah, I really appreciate you, Andrew. I really do. And uh, I know that a lot of people have taken a lot of things out of this podcast because of, of what, you've, what you've laid out. Likewise, Robbie. Thanks for, thanks for having me on board. Yeah, I mean, my, my goal, like I said, I think everyone, a lot of people who are fighting each other don't realize that they want the same things. Um, 
and I think uh, if we if we can you know just together find because you know we haven't we haven't resolved this elephant you and I together unfortunately this the the stories going on um, I think the hunters who took it need need to try and 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 really justify I mean not just say that they saw you as a big bull elephant and this and that and that. I mean really find something substantial to justify shooting big elephant not just not just mega tuskers big elephant in in a hole are in jeopardy in southern africa they we've got to be careful all of us we've got to be careful with them because they can vanish mm -hmm. and um i'm glad we had this conversation i'm glad to know that there is a large part of the hunting community that that are on board with the preservation of not just numbers um but also the pres preservation of genetics and and yeah it's a conversation that's going to go on to the future and i'm glad we had it i'm glad we had it i'm glad to see that there we all are open-minded and, and willing to discuss this and i hope when uh, other people take this further and talk about it themselves there can be a, some sort of positive outcome i really do 100 percent. yeah 100 till the next time andrew thanks thanks a lot robbie have a good one well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.